0: Welcome to Podcast 142. It's a stressful day at Wiggly Wigglers because we're not putting a new system in. I'm Heather.
1: I'm Richard. And I'm Farmer Phil.
0: We were due to go live with our new system yesterday, but it's gone dead. It has died. (laughs) Mm. So we're just in a limbo moment of puzzlement. If you are a mail order company... (laughs) who has successfully implemented a new system with products, options, SKUs, stock control, data analysis, crystal reports. And it all went swimmingly. Give us a ring. You know, emotional support is greatly needed at Wiggly Wigglers.
1: Alternatively, my impression is that a couple of bottles of wine clarifies the situation <laughs> perfectly.
0: Yes, this is Heather talking to you after two bottles of rosé last evening. Right. And Rach has took the ultimate step and gone for a trip to the Royal Welsh show today. Oh, good. Yeah.
2: Oh, is she? she gone out there today? Terry's doing his talk today, I should tell her. Oh, ring her up. mobile.
1: That's it. Apparently yesterday they had the most fantastic attendance. It was packed out. There were queues to get in just because they would got huge numbers of people, which I think is really good because the Royal Show, as you know at Stoneley took a right caning the other day because nobody went. It was raining, which didn't help. Mm. But it's interesting. The Royal Welsh has always been a successful show and seems to continue to be.
0: Just explain what the Royal Welsh Show is. The Royal What's Welsh the Show
1: is... What it says, essentially, it's the Wales National Agricultural Show. It includes a lot of non-agricultural things as well, but it's just a traditional county show and some if you like it's got everything and people flock for miles to come to it it's Gacy got bees. machinery animals horse competitions you name it lumberjack competitions the Ice whole thing.
2: it is a brilliant show i went up there tuesday to do a talk but i didn't have time to look around much really because it was so hot as well mm. i got that marquee yeah, and the horticultural marquee and honestly the sweat was dripping off me Oh, lovely, just, I think that's a, a bit more, more information than we need.
0: It. Anyone turn up? Uh,
2: yeah, it was, it was a nice crowd actually What tends to happen with shows is that you get a few people sat in front of you And when you start talking, as people walk past, they stop and listen to what you're saying, and then they come in and sit down. So of course you're you're And then they regret to,
0: it because they're sense, stuck yeah. there for hours.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. It does it does increase as you go along. So yeah, it was really good actually. It was well worth going along. Right like,
0: have... on this week's show, we have got coming up Farmer Phil's latest claim to fame. He's been on local radio, <laughs> and we've also got Lindsay, who has been composting her nappies, yes. or more accurately, her baby's nappies, I presume.
2: Children's children. children,
0: her grandchildren, in fact. indeed. Anyway, Farmer Phil, you've been on the radio because the whole week on Radio 4 and Radio 5, I have listened to reports saying that farmers are caning it in, they're going to make an absolute fortune. Wheat barons are back. Oliver Woolston was on the radio with his squillion hectares <laughs> of wheat in the east of England, explaining the margins and how it worked and why would farmers have subsidy. And so I know that yesterday, Farmer Phil was called into action by BBC Herod and Worcester to put the record straight. So what spin have you spun?
1: I haven't spun any spin. Andrew Easton uh, invited me on his show last night. And Essentially it is inarguable that the price of wheat has gone up radically over the last 12 months and I believe it's probably likely to go up further. But there are reasons for that and I think that there are benefits to be had for both the consumer and the farmer. Obviously for the farmer if he's going to make a profit then that's going to go some way to the fairly serious losses most of us have made over the last few years. But it should be borne in mind that a high wheat price is is good for those of us who grow wheat But those of us who've got livestock, that represents a fairly serious increase in the feed that we need to buy in, perhaps. So it's not all good news. And also, as an industry, we are subject to all the cost increases in inflation that all industries are subject to. So that the price of fuel... Well, that's
0: enough of that. The point (laughs) is...
1: Well, thank you for that. Well,
0: the point is, isn't it, that whilst everything is going up in price, that the wheat price has gone from 60 quid to 150 quid... So, you know, with the best wheel in the world, you cannot say that the fuel has gone from a £10 to £20.
1: Well, in the so, last, in you know, the last come on. three years, diesel, to us, for the tractors, has gone from 11p to 70p.
0: Oh, well, that's all very well. But compared to the return on your acre, that, that isn't really that relevant, is it? No,
1: but when you look at the costs involved...
0: Oh, let's just get to the No, no, you,
1: you asked for whether there was going to be a profit involved... And I think there will be a profit involved, but it's not raking it in, as you suggest. That all our inputs have gone up radically, and I think there are benefits to the farmer because obviously our subsidies are coming down, as they must, and an increase in farming income will allow that to happen reasonably comfortably, and that is a good thing. I think it also provides opportunities for consumers of the produce that we produce Because if it's more expensive, the consumer will, A, value it more, but also it'll be more in their interest to find out more about it. It allows us as farmers to differentiate. It allows us to justify the increased value of our produce, and that can only be healthy for us. Rich? I completely agree. (laughs)
0: Well, I'd like to say something from the retailer's point of view because all these years we hear what a terrible thing it is for the farmer and how they are completely at the mercy of the retailer. Now, I am a retailer and I'd like you to know, Farmer Phil, how difficult it is to try and pass on the four times the price that you have passed on to me for seed. If I went back to my consumers and said... Your bag of seed was £5, and now it's £20. I would have no customers. So as a retailer, it's quite interesting at the moment to see that you're not the one that gets squeezed, it's me.
1: Well, that's quite an interesting comment as well, because as a wholesaler to you, so that if we said that 70% of the birdseed ingredients that I sell to you, I have to buy, and I've been dealing with the increase in prices that my suppliers charge me... And it's quite a simple thing. If I don't pay the money, I don't have the product. Ah, so, but why
0: don't you grow it yourself? And also, well, i like to Well, the peanut harvest out-
1: in West Hereford has never been a very <laughs> reliable option. I'd
0: just like to point out that you do grow your own sunflowers.
1: Absolutely.
0: And they've gone up four times the price.
1: Yeah, well, unsurprisingly...
0: In three months.
1: Exactly. But the reason for that was that I held the price while I was using my sunflowers that I grew... And when I'd sold out of my own sunflowers and I had to buy some in, I had something of a rude shock because (laughs) the price had gone up ridiculously from something like £300 a ton to something like £700 a ton. And this caused me a fairly major hiccup in my cash flow. (laughs) Now, the choice is yours. If you want sunflowers, that's how much they're going to cost. If you don't, then we won't do them.
0: You'll be glad to hear, dear listener that we have not passed on PharmaPhil's extortionate increase to you, but we have increased the prices a bit. Well, we have to.
1: What is interesting is that another aspect of high prices is that they're much more volatile. The price will go up to a spike and come down. They're moving much more rapidly, which makes it quite interesting because one week you can sell wheat at £160 a tonne, the next week you might sell it at £130 a tonne. And this has not happened before...
0: So, somewhere or other, there's an extra load of money. Absolutely. Are we going to be rich?
1: The potential to pay off some of the overdraft is there. <laughs> the potential to pay but off I some of the overdraft.
0: Hard. There's
1: always,
2: there's always well, a the interesting
1: thing is to grow your three tonnes an acre of wheat, then you have to use fertiliser. Fertilizer has more than doubled in the last twelve months. Do
2: organic farmers
1: use fertilizer? Organic farmers don't use fertilizer, but mm. then they wouldn't get three tons an acre. So that you know the sums go round and round. Mm. The cost of metal, you know, we've had all the stories about people stealing scrap metal and all the rest of it. You had a few losses with- <laughs> <recently>. <laughs> I've lost my my gateposts that somebody <laughs> nicked off the road. But so obviously when we're using all our machinery, the cost of that has gone up astronomically. Plough mm. parts just buying the machinery in itself, the cost has gone up. Fuel we've mentioned, there's a knock-on cost. The transport of what we grow to wherever it goes, the costs have gone up logically because the lorry drivers are paying pound thirty a litre for their fuel.
0: So, dear supplier, looking ahead from a retailer's point of view, I'd like to think that this means that there is a shift because as transportation becomes more expensive, then it's more important to try and source In Britain,
1: I think you're right, and I think that also you will find that there will now be, because we've had this very rapid period of change, that there will now be a levelling off. The market may be quite volatile, but I think you'll find that there will be a correction and that it will stabilise more generally. But we can't control the markets, we're not big enough to control the markets, nor would we seek to and it's a question of operating within them. And my view is that if things are going to be more expensive, then let's make sure we get them from the right place with the right story, whether it's food, bird seed, And, and
0: less waste, Rich.
1: Mm, less waste, yeah, certainly.
0: You're not talking today,
2: are you? <laughs> 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 i just enjoy this debate, the fact that you and Phil are just chattering away and I'm just kind of listening and, and avoiding any, uh, any possible confrontation that you might take, take the opportunity to incite. So... Uh, <laughs> So yeah, you you carry on. That's quite nice listening to uh, husband and wife chattering. Anyway, it's quite good.
0: <laughs> Yeah, it's time for music. It is. <laughs> Let's go and find out about Lindsay Neal composting her grandchildren's nappies. Indeed. Well,
2: I've wandered up to the edge of Dawson Hill, which um, <laughs> uh, I don't know, many of the listeners might not be familiar with Dawson Hill. It's very steep, isn't it?
3: It is very steep. Um, there's not much flat ground in our garden. Uh, no, no,
2: not at all. No. But That's, that's, that's a, a familiar feeling for me. But I've come up to see Lindsay Neal. And Lindsay came to see us at wiggly's uh, probably, what, 12 months ago or something? Just
3: now? a bit over a year ago.
2: Right, and you were very keen on composting nappies. Your daughter has, uh, has a, a young family, and they're inundated with these things that they weren't quite sure what to do with. And you, I think you've had few problems with approaching people to see whether or not they were interested in the kind of project that you were doing. But, I mean, give us the lowdown. What did you do? What have you been up
3: to? Well, I'll tell you how it started. My daughter, I have to make it clear, my daughter is mainstream, you Young woman she's not a she doesn't live in a yurt she wouldn't classify herself as an environmental warrior of any distinction at all okay she's married to a gp she's absolutely straight down the line okay. but she is it's been interesting watching her become more and more concerned about environmental impact over time right. her first two children she used washable nappies right um, then there was a gap between babies one and two and baby three. OK. And just before I came to see you, they had been t- they were pregnant, expecting baby three. In the time between baby two and baby three, the debate about nappies had changed. Right. The whole thing about landfill became a much more important issue. And there were all those questions about the temperature at which you needed to wash terry nappies. And my daughter was saying to me, I'm really confused. I tried to do it this way, but actually, I might be saving landfill, but I might also be you know, adding to my... Carbon footprint by the having to wash these nappies at sixty degrees. So she was very, very confused. So she said to me, I tell you what, I'll have the baby, you sort out the nappies for me. Okay, jump (laughs) them up. (laughs) Which I was very happy to do. So I got hold of a few websites and started trawling through websites, beginning to gather a little bit of information. But the information wasn't consistent. No. Some people were willing to respond, some people were clearly not willing to respond. We picked up a a diagram of a composting nappy container. Right. Which my husband is more technical in these matters than I am, looked at and thought, ooh can't see how that's going to work Correct. but you know we wanted to know more about the principles and then the people who had put that on a website encouraging us all to have a look completely shut down all communications with me okay they were researchers they were wanting to publish findings and they were not prepared to share anything at all which right. irritates me yeah that's a shame frankly isn't it? Yeah. it is a real shame mm. so then i thought well i've got wiggly wheelers down the road i know you of old right and i thought i'd come i'd, I'd approach you so my first the first response I got from you was oh, nappies. Oh no, 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 no!
2: Well, I seem to remember you. I seem to remember you walking into the <laughs> office, and I, I see, uh, we "We've got uh, we've got a team of women who, who aren't particularly maternal." So even though even though they have children of their own uh, most of which are quite kind of large now they, they, there's not much of a, a maternal instinct in the, in the office and I remember you walking in exactly. and saying oh, you know I wonder if you guys would be interested yeah. in helping with this project yeah.
3: here I am a granny on a mission a yeah. granny on a mission Yeah, a room full of women and they all went yeah, like that <laughs> so that was only the the first response was, oh my goodness we but you, don't did don't well. you did well you
2: broke down some barriers I was quite impressed you know I thought I was sat there behind my screen I thought I'm not going to get involved let's just <laughs> see how this lady gets on well
3: I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you how we we break it down break it down in 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 two ways one they said to me well actually we do get phone calls you know because there were people other than me who'd been picking up this information that you can compost nappies therefore you need worms to do that therefore you are the experts yeah yeah but your staff were saying oh we take these phone calls and say no we, don't, no we don't do nappies so somebody else had already been drip feeding sure. your consciousness yep. about it and right. secondly we talked about composting toilets
2: right
3: so i said okay so i've got a composting toilet i know down. i've seen it it's Expl- very impressive <laughs> explain to me what is the difference between supporting and being perfectly comfortable with the idea of composting toilets and you know going ear at the thought of composting nappies so it was those two things it no. was the fact that somebody several somebodies had been phoning you over a period of time asking what do you do about it yeah. so there was a consciousness raising already going on amongst your team certainly um and then when challenged by somebody walking into the office and saying so what are you going to do about this yeah and having a conversation about the difference between a composting nappy and a composting toilet and actually there is no difference and i have to say since then you've been the heroes because i've tried getting other organizations involved and it's been very very difficult right it's, it's kind of it's it's
2: kind of alien notion to, to a lot of people, you know. I think uh, people are put off by the 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 idea as much well as anything else. like uh, possibly uh, the, the consensus of Wiggly's initially when you walked in, you're this kind of, oh it's really disgusting. Why do we want to, Why on earth would you want to bother doing something like that? But logistically, it's probably quite tricky.
3: Well, I think you, you you can take it at two levels. My my, I have to say that my GP son-in-law started off with, over my dead body, will we be composting our child's nappies?" So yeah. so he's moved along long way. But he needed the science to convince him that it was going to be safe. Right. Do you really think I'm going to put this stuff on my tomatoes? Yeah, yes. sure. And so we had to find the evidence that reassured him that it would be fine. Right, right. But there are two ways of dealing with this, I think. The first is, the desirable is to do the actual composting. Now, very, very few individuals are going to be in a position to do that. Because they don't want to, because it costs money to build these to find a composting, you know, a system for composting nappies has sure. not been cheap or easy to work out. No. And very, very few people have the space, literally, the physical space. Yeah. Because I can tell you just the volume of nappies that Edward, who is now just over a year old, has produced in the first 12 months of his life. And there's a lot of them. There is huge. a lot
2: of them. I mean, what quantity of nappies are you talking about over that period?
3: I would have to ask Fiona about numbers of nappies they're more frequent when they're very young right but it's more urine okay oh i see so so it changes the the content changes yeah yeah over over a period of time it brings quite literally to home the impact of disposable nappies on landfill right because you read numbers like i probably get the numbers wrong eight million nappies go to landfill every month or every week it's it's vast quantities those numbers are so large, they don't mean anything to you. No. But if you're actually, you want to try some of your listeners, they might want to try collecting nappies, ordinary disposable nappies, for a week, right? And just get sheer, some sort of an idea sheer of the volume. volume. Yeah, the no, because they're bulky old things. They, aren't they? they are bulky. They are very bulky. So composting your own nappies is a problem because of space and right. a variety of other things.
2: So how do, they, how, do they, um, how do they manage to deal with that kind of volume then? What sort of space have they got available to them in order for them to, ha- to have sufficient storage for such bulky items?
3: Well, you know, fond grandparents, they think about, well, what are we going to buy the new grandchild? and well they've got a pram, or maybe they'd <laughs> like an investment in something or other. And I don't know, maybe we could start saving for a wonderful holiday when they're 21. We put our money into plywood, marine ply, 4x4s four and various other things okay. and built Edward a nappy composting bin.
2: That's very, that's very decent <laughs> of you. That's, that's Which,
3: I'm sure as he gets older he will be delighted I'm when sure his will, friends yeah, when yeah. his friends have grandparents who have done other things
2: yeah, for yeah. them. Yeah, sure. buy them a car and set up a trust fund <laughs> exactly. or something like that. But <laughs> exactly.
3: No. Edward's got a nappy composting. We've got two bins, we've got two composting bins and I think the question really is, even for, for that one child, and some families have more than one child in nappies at the same over the same period of time. Right. You don't have to have twins to have two lots of people in nappies, two no. lots of babies in nappies. That no. actually we didn't get the dimensions right. It's it's suffered a bit from that, but it has okay. worked, and right. I have here. I'm just going to tap a plastic yes, bag. Yes, let's have
2: a let's have a look. So what have you got? So you've got a whole bunch of photographs, in there. they've finally given me a couple of newspaper cuttings, which will be very useful, I think. This is crinkle, um, crinkle,
3: crinkle for sound effects. So oh, what wow. I've got here is. I'm going to put So this, is, on. this is the this end is product. Mu- yes, and this is 12 months right. afterwards. There was something else that I wanted to say because I don't want people to think that if... if you can't compost them yourself you can't do anything okay because the big thing that everybody can do is to shift from those main brand disposable nappies that have absolutely no biodegradable breakdown right you can buy disposable nappies that have a high component of biodegradable materials in them okay now that's what i would urge people to do most people i'm not saying to people go on go out there get your your marine ply and build yourself two compost bins because most people are not going to want to do that we'll be able to do that well, it's the
2: space as well, isn't
3: it? It's the, the space, it's the thinking about it, it's the worrying about what's going on in there. You know, are the rats going for it?
2: Were the rats going for it? Well, at, at one time,
3: rats? yeah, well, look, rats are curious, yeah, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, they are you curious.
2: Know? Yeah, I suppose it's kind of warm with all it, that and, uh, and warm, cladding and, and insulation and whatnot, what
3: exactly. And what do you do in the winter? Do you, you know, wrap it in a duvet? There are all sorts of practical things, yeah. But for people who simply can't do that for a variety of reasons, what they what people can do is to check for the biodegradable materials in the nappies. in the the disposable nappies that they are buying they will find i'm not going to mention brands but i can tell you now that the main brands have absolutely no biodegradable materials in them
2: right okay there are
3: others that do and some some supermarkets sell them
2: Fine. but
3: Mothercare, not in every store but mother care now have a, a nappy system which is a huge improvement on old style right because i think that the, the the manufacturers of the the main brands are going to catch up with the fact that people like us are very concerned about our contribution to landfill through nappies, we are not going to change. Uh, in my day, you, you know, you were quite proud to hang your terry nappies out on the line. It's yeah. never going to go back to that in any noticeable numbers. The majority. Right not just in this country but everywhere you go in the world disposable nappies are the norm right, but right. we can do something we can do a lot which is to, is to force the main producers to increase the percentage of biodegradable materials that they use okay. and that's what I would urge people to do All right. the composting in your own home is a great fun thing if you've got the right people if you've involved got them, yeah. But it's not to everybody's. I was going to say taste, but I shan't bother with it.
2: <laughs> so so
3: here we have.
2: For want of a better word. Okay. For want of a better okay. word. Okay. Well, it's looking really. rather good, isn't it?
3: Yeah. And so we Very can dark. see. Yep. Okay. Absolute. Yeah. No.
2: No smell. Absol- I can't smell. No it Smells like soil. Can't smell anything. Yeah, it does. Yep, it Smells yeah. like soil.
3: So what we've got here, I dug down deep the last time I was visiting.
2: So that's pure nappies, then, really.
3: This is yes there will be in here there will be some of the starter coir
2: okay. that we got from oh, yep. there. oh right oh yep I might can see a worm few... I can see an egg yep. as well Yeah. Oh, I see several still, worms Actually, And little worms as well so yep. they're obviously they're thriving they're in, in there yeah, yeah.
3: so what I wanted to be able to do is to, to let you see what this process produced yeah 12 months afterwards, so I had to dig down, as you can imagine, that was yeah,
2: fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it does look like, it's a finished it's thing. A finished it's a product. reasonable, uh, and what we have reasonable looking compost, you know, it's kind of, it's, I wouldn't say it's, it's friable, it. but it's, you know, it's, well, it's, it's wet. getting there.
0: It's
3: wet, it's and if a, we were to dry it... It
2: wouldn't be difficult to incorporate into a garden, would it? Not, Not at, at all. all.
3: Not at all. So, so my big... son-in-law's concerned about putting this on his tomatoes. Oh, Completely Ideal,
2: yes. What a shame to waste it.
3: I'll take it back to them. Or I could give it to you. It's the most sensible thing in the world to do,
2: though, to be able to our waste, our excrement, our, our children's excrement into into foodstuff that we're in turn going to kind of eat and so, enjoy so and, exactly. and, and grow from. You know, it it's seems part to me the, the process, most
3: quite apart from it being fun. It's produced, generated loads of interesting and entertaining conversations, yeah, as you yeah, can imagine. Yeah, yeah. But it's worthwhile, yeah. family. We're not scientists. We're fairly ordinary mainstream people, yeah. aware as the vast majority of the population are aware of certain things. Yeah. And, you know, compost, landfill and nappies is of them.
2: Fabulous. So this chunky stuff now on the top. Oh, okay, okay, so what we that can that is see it. is
3: the stuff that hasn't broken down, that will right. break down eventually. Right. Although I don't and how think long these has that tab- be,
2: been in there? This is 12 months. Right. Okay. So that. So I went
3: looking. See this, the size of this. This is a newborn's nappy yep. size. Right. Okay. So I dug down into the first of the two bins. Okay. And I got up some of the compost. Yeah. And I got the residue. I got the stuff that I think these these sticky tabs. People who are familiar with. Yeah, um, there's quite a lot of plastic um, in those, isn't there? Yeah. With disposable nappies, know that you have these little Velcro tabs. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't look to me as though they are going to compost no. down. They look as good as they were when no, the nappy was at, first it, put it on.
2: 500 years there, I think. I'd have thought so. Yeah. I'd have
3: thought so. But everything else, you've got the fabric that holds the nappy stuff together. Will.
2: It is deteriorating, it is, isn't it? it? Slowly. Is slowly. It is It looks a bit like a, a large tea bag.
3: It does, that's right, actually. Yes, so, I of and,
2: and it's probably just material, you know, is probably something similar. Yeah. It's a kind of woven sort of plastic polymer kind of thing, isn't it? You know? It is. I see, it yeah. Is. yeah. So it will. It, it obviously is deteriorating, but I think there's probably a few years ahead of it yet.
3: There is. I'm, I'm but convinced. But the bulk
2: of it. it, it's gone, hasn't it? Bulk it is it, very flaccid, you know. It's not got much guts anymore, so... No.
3: The plastic tabs, I don't think, are ever going to go. But the the substance, the content of the nappies, so the, um, the gubbins is in the middle, um, have turned into... This rather delightful stuff.
2: Fabulous. So, are they glad they did it? Anyway, Is it, are they are they pleased well, with what they've achieved?
3: Well, <laughs> my, my daughter, you, my daughter did it. My daughter did it. Look, it was. Um, my daughter's delighted my son is his sense of humor is is of the cynical type okay, yeah. but he's been basically the one who trudges up to the the top of the garden when the weather's been terrible and puts yeah. the nappies in there so yeah. he's been without him it would not have um, okay. taken place but I think it suited him to be the cynic on the sidelines yeah but if he had not if he hadn't thought it was not safe as a doctor if he had thought it was a fairly ludicrous thing for you know a family like them to get involved in he would I'm sure have said no
2: I'm sure and right. he hasn't well, like said kind of imagine that that would be the case
3: yes you know it it could not have been driven through even before my daughter suggested that they have the baby and uh, and i do the nappies they would have talked it through and he obviously thought it was well worth the experiment and i don't think they're disappointed with it at all
2: brilliant
3: can i mention my friend in popo I do quite a lot of work in Limpopo, which is the northern province in South Africa. Okay. And it's absolutely nothing to do with worms, completely and absolutely nothing to do with worms. But I went off for a drive with some friends one weekend when I was out there. and We stopped off at a garden centre where they do fantastic waffles and ice cream. Okay. And the people I was with knew the people who ran the garden centre and we were admiring their things and... And the chap said, oh, you know, this worm compost that I put on is making all the difference. I said, what? Worms compost? (laughs) Well, to cut a long story short, we are in regular contact. I'm going out to Limpopo in a couple of weeks' time, and I shall make a point of going up and checking on how they're doing. Okay. And what they do there is that they have a huge scheme. I mean, much, much bigger than, um, you know, your ordinary composting nappies. And they use farm manure, mainly cattle. Yeah. And they have a large system which they have constructed and they've brought in worms a different variety of worms from the ones that you use okay but these little characters are incredibly efficient right and within within 6 months they have dried worm casts i think you would probably yeah, call yeah, it yeah. absolutely fantastic and okay. they they sell them in bags and you sprinkle small quantities on your your veggies or yeah. your roses or whatever yeah. and the word is that it makes the most astonishing difference it's a much more efficient use of cow manure okay um, in south africa where soil is quite often poor and people are struggling to produce the food that they need to produce for a variety of reasons introducing this into village communities is something that as a sideline we're going to be doing which i think is really exciting because the raw materials are there and these worms produce at such a rate as you know they're prolific produce you know reproduces once you've got a little bit you know you can hand them around it costs you nothing I have taken from this guy, Laurie Rol- Railton, he has given me boxes of worms and I've been giving them to friends who've right. started up their own yeah, composting yeah. things, whether they're using kitchen materials or whether they're using, you know, a lot of them have got farms or whatever. And it's really gathering momentum and wonderful. I think it's quite exciting.
2: That's very exciting, yeah. Kind and of
3: global worm network.
2: Brilliant. Well, that's wonderful. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for sharing that with us.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> so, on next week's show, Richard, we're going to hear from Sue, who's in Usk.
2: Sue contacted you a while ago, didn't she? Sue Webber, who I met about three and a half years ago when I went down to Usk to give the gardening club a talk. One of the first talks I gave uh, when I came to work with you.
0: <laughs> what are we going to so, find out about?
2: Sue uh, is a member of the Usk Conservation Environment Group and one of the main reasons they all get together is, is to improve the, the wildlife environment in their beautiful town of Usk, which is a beautiful town, isn't it? It's gorgeous, and she's a podcast listener. And she loves a podcast. So she said in her email to you originally, I listen to your podcast every week while toiling away on the allotment. I think you're all great, and Heather's just plain mad. Oh. So there you are.
0: Well, I don't know whether we'll, we'll go to her next <laughs> week. But probably we will. <laughs> right, it's goodbye from Blakemere. Farmer Phil has to go now because he's going combining his...
1: Grass seed, hopefully, with a bit of luck.
0: Very good. And Ricardo, what are you up to?
2: I've got to go and inspect the wildlife trail for our open day on Sunday. Brilliant. I've got to go and see And
0: put the green and red Little hammer,
2: Green and red arrows. Yes. yes, yes this is my trusty staple gun. So yeah.
0: So thank you for listening. Thank you very much indeed. You've been with us for ages, unless you're new. <laughs> and if you've got a chance to go and put a review on iTunes, do that. And because we've got a new one, but we'll hear that next week. Bye from me, Heather Wiggly Wigglers signing off on a beautiful July day.
1: And bye-bye from me. And bye from me.